The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coach's Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Credo, and today I've got two coaches on together, head and assistant, all the way out from near Denver, Colorado. And I'll start with you first, Coach Lammers. Tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got to where you're at now. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in uh, south of Denver, Colorado in Littleton. I played youth sports all growing up. I went to Heritage High School, uh, which is a decently sized uh, 5A school in Colorado. They're about When I was there, about 1,200 kids. Um, and then from there, I had some injuries, um, along the way, which then led me to Trinity Christian college, which is on the South side of, uh, Chicago, Palos Heights, Illinois. Uh, so I played outfield, any of the three, uh, by the time I got to college, I wasn't a, a very good hitter. So I was mostly a bunting specialist, defensive specialist, um, type of a player, steal bases, get on base, go in late in the game. Um, that was kind of my, my deal. I, I just couldn't hit after my uh, shoulder surgery. And so that's kind of where I started to fit in. And then uh, we played in uh, three national uh, tournaments, which was fun. We went one and 11, seven of which of those games, I think we were winning until the ninth inning. Uh, so not a good record at the national tournament, but we had a, a lot of fun. And then I uh, graduated from there with a degree in uh, physical education and health, and then that I moved back home to Colorado after I graduated from college, and then kind of swore off coaching. Uh, I've only had a couple of good coaches that I was able to connect with growing up. Um, some of those guys I'm still like really good friends with, but I kind of swore off coaching because I didn't want to be a bad coach and a bad leader towards uh, young people. And then uh, Coach Brink was uh, the head coach at uh, the school that I'm currently at, Inglewood. And he uh, tracked me down in the bathroom the first day of school and kind of cornered me at the urinal and said, I hear you play college baseball. I was like, yeah, I did. And he's like, well, do you want to coach? And I kind of was a little sheepish about it and then went home and I was still living with my parents and told my mom, I was like, well, I guess I'm uh, – coaching baseball this year to which she was pretty surprised about that and here I am seven years later we've uh coached for seven years so one uh, decision in the bathroom got me in the coaching world <laughs> that's awesome but hey coach break I know exactly what you're talking about man small school you're trying to get anybody you can to help you in your program I totally get it and I uh 100% would track down one of my coworkers if they had played college baseball to get them to come play for me. No doubt about it. But Coach Brink, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got to where you're at now. Yeah, sure. Not a problem. Um, so same like Lance. Uh, grew up in South Jeffco area, which is kind of southwest Denver. Uh, I went to Chatfield High School, uh, big 5A, big kind of powerhouse school. Uh, played center field started center field never really lost the starting position so um i was pretty good I, I enjoyed my time there i mean we made it deep into state my senior year lost on a bad hop because the drought happened here in colorado so they didn't water the school so we lost on a bad hop 
then I made my way out to Hastings College in Nebraska. Um, played out there for a few years. Got injured, shoulder, tore my labrum. Kind of was going to think about quitting baseball. Just didn't want to go through the whole process of um, rehab and trying to get back into things. And one of my good friends from Chatfield was at Independence Community College in Kansas. And he kind of twisted my arm and kind of persuaded me out to uh, Colorado Christian University as they were starting up their first program uh, at the college there. And that's over in Lakewood, Colorado. Um, got onto that team. Shoulder probably wasn't 100%, but uh, thought I'd give it another go. And through all that, got to actually rehab out here with like an ex-Los Angeles Dodgers trainer, which was really nice. Um, he got me up at speed and everything and got me ready to play again. And really tore it up at CCU and played a lot and actually got a call from the Seattle Mariners. And I got to spend a week with the Mariners. Um, it's funny when you, when you go out there and you think you're good. Um, but really you start to see other guys from around the, the nation come out and play and it kind of humbles you quite a bit. And I spent my week out there, my shoulder just wouldn't hold up. So I kind of went up to them and just kind of told them that, you know, I'm done. I'm, I'm I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I got my degree in business, so I was thinking about kind of pursuing kind of the family tradition as to going into oil and gas. And I worked in oil and gas for, oh, geez, three or four-ish years and didn't really like it that much. I mean, the money was great, but I was gone constantly. I didn't get to see my my wife, who was currently at my girlfriend at that time. Didn't get to see her much um, and kind of talked to her one night and just kind of you know, I'm not really feeling this anymore and just trying to talk to her about what to do next. And she's like, I always thought you'd be a great coach. And I had coached in the past in between years and stuff like that at Thunder Ridge High School, which is a big school out here in Highlands Ranch. And um, I enjoyed my time doing it, but I never saw myself as kind of like a, a head coach at all. Just kind of one coach that could kind of spread my wisdom that I had to some of the younger players and stuff. And um I actually ended up quitting my job in oil and gas and going back and get my master's degree in secondary education to become a teacher. And um, the whole plan was to be at Thunder Ridge because that's where I did my student teaching as well. And Coach Joe White, who I considered my mentor and uh, still kind of is, um, kind of persuaded me into getting back into coaching. And he did and brought me onto the staff. And we had some great years at Thunder Ridge. Um, and at the end of my student teaching, the whole plan was to get me in as kind of the I don't know, coach to be the head coach eventually when Joe retired. Uh, but they never hired me there, which was kind of a bummer, but I think kind of a blessing too, because that then led me over to Inglewood. Um, and taking over Inglewood, I, I honestly had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, the previous two years, I know I was looking back at the records just, just to kind of get an idea of what they were. And they hadn't won a game in over two years. And so I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into. And I brought a coach over my first year um, from Thunder Ridge, but he was going through his master's at Metro. So he wasn't able to always be at the games or at practice. So I pretty much ran the entire first season by myself as a first year head coach. And that was, that was rough. It was tough. And um, that season we ended up winning one game, which is more than we can say we had won in the past two. And then like Lance said, uh, the second year we were there, I approached him in the bathroom. Cause I think Lance, your dad was the one that actually told me about, Hey, my son's got it. He's played baseball. He might be interested in coaching. I, I think it was just, I saw you get up from the table during one of our PD days. And I was like, all right, this is now or never. And I've got to go talk to him and figure out if I've got myself a good assistant coach. And it turns out to be really well. And 
Lance and I have done a lot of good things for this program. Uh, and I wouldn't even say that it, it's, it's not just me. Lance has been there through a lot with me and he's helped me kind of develop this program into what it, what it is. And he's gotten me into this position to where we have a successful team. And there's actually teams in our league that, that kind of fear us, which I don't know if you could say that about Inglewood about 10 years ago. So that's kind of where we are today. And it, it's been nothing but a blessing and it, it's been, been a roller coaster, but it's been fun. So I ask you this, Coach Lammers, what's the craziest, wildest thing that you've experienced while coaching baseball? Uh, while coaching, I would say we had a kid a couple years ago. His name was Dylan. We were playing our rivals. Uh, our rival is, we would consider them to be Fort Lupton. They're way out northeast of, of Colorado. and we It's always a heated game when we play against them. Um, and he came out and pretty much had the game of his life and threw a no-hitter um, against our our arch rivals, which is always good to say that you shut them down, you couldn't do anything, they couldn't do anything against us. Uh, that's probably the highlight from coaching um, that I've had, the most impressive thing that I've seen. Uh, when you watch a kid who's totally dominant on the mound and the other team has no answers, it's, it's fun to just kind of sit back, take a deep breath, and be like, is this really happening right now? Uh, and that, that was kind of that moment for me. What about you, Coach Brink? What's the wildest experience you've had as a coach? Well, I would definitely say the no-hitter was crazy. Uh, just to be a part of that, that was fun. I'm watching Dylan just kind of deal and just really having all those guys on their toes and their heels and just mixing up pitches like crazy. I mean, he threw a heck of a game. Um but I would say probably the wildest thing that I've ever seen was probably when we were playing in the league playoffs. Um, if we had won this game, uh, we're automatically in because the way that the league worked, it was like a 4A team and a 3A. If they're playing in the championship, then you kind of split who's going to the playoffs. Like no matter what, Inglewood would go and Aurora Central would go. Uh, but the game that we were playing was against Skyview, which was kind of another big rival uh, during that time. Um, but it was kind of a back and forth. We, we grabbed the lead, we're ahead. Um, and then just the crowd starts getting into it because they kind of feel kind of the, uh, the anxiety of what's going on and they feel like kind of the pressure of the kids. And I mean, I think Dylan was throwing that game as well. And he struck this kid out looking and you just heard a guy in the stands just yell out like, that's a BS call. I can't believe that. And the umpire turns around and looks at him, and he's like, just throws him out. And the guy just starts chirping even more. And then all of a sudden, the players on Skyview's bench start chirping, and then the players in the field start chirping. And at one point, I thought it was kind of be like kind of benches clearing type of thing in a, in a league playoff thing. Um, but it didn't stop there. Then all of a sudden, we had a guy up in the stands that I don't even know where he came from because the way our field sets up, we're along like a public path on the backside. And he brought some lady that I don't even know who she is. She might've been like a, a woman of the night. I have no idea, but it was something along those lines. Uh, but he starts chirping and then he starts getting at the umpire. And so our AD has to step in now trying to take care of the guy at the very front. Now also taking care of this other guy. And the guy was so mad when Nate approached him and he just chucked this nacho plate at Nate kind of splattered up against the fence and all of a sudden just kind of hell broke loose at this game to where we have to try to control our dugout. And I'm just looking at their dugout. I'm like, just go ahead and chirp you guys because all of a sudden 
after you guys are done chirping, you're just going to fall apart. And that's actually what happened is they let more of that moment get in the play with them. So where it got in the way of actually performing on the field that they were more concerned about chirping and our guys. And we ended up winning the game. And I think the best moment of my life so far within coaching was kind of having the post game speech with our team. They had no idea either that we would make playoffs if we would have won this game and just announcing that to the guys and seeing the reaction on their face and just hearing the cheer and the guys surrounding me and Lammers and jumping up and down on us. That was probably like one of the best moments I've ever had coaching in my life. Also with the most wildest experience I've ever seen in my life too. So coach Brink leading the program, what are some of the things that you've done in particular to help kind of transform a program that had zero wins to being in the position you guys are now? Well, I think it's culture was a big thing and being at Thunder Ridge really helped me identify kind of what culture means and uh, really reaching out to the community, getting the community involved, um, which is still a progress even today. I mean, COVID kind of hurt us a little bit um, with being in touch with the community. So we're trying right now to try to get back into the community and stuff like that and getting our youth teams up here and seeing what we're doing. Um, But culture was poor when I first stepped in. I mean, I looked at the roster that I had my first year and I was like, holy cow, how am I going to put a a team together to actually play a baseball game? Um, And the thing that Lance have always preached to the guys, no matter if you're new or if you've played before, just trust the process is kind of our motto. And that was the thing that was the hardest part for guys to get to to kind of grasp was trust the process. They've, They've gone through so many coaches um, it's hard for some of those upperclassmen to trust a new coach rolling in, um, thinking or not to think that this coach is just going to leave us behind too, because of what he sees. And my goal has always been to win. I mean, that's, that's all our goal is as a coach is to win, but it's to develop a way of believing in winning and a way of, of knowing how to win and win the right way. And, um, that was something that I think the first year was the hardest thing ever to do. Uh, but once I brought Lance in and Lance and I talked together and I mean, Lance and I have conversations every day um, just because we're in the same building teaching together and we talk on the phone all the time and we just try to figure things out. And I think the belief in the culture and we're starting to see the culture um, really grasp and really take hold right now because you're seeing guys that are more welcoming into kids and more inviting into those who like, oh, this kid could play eventually, but they're taking them by their wing like the older guys are and really just just teaching them how to play. And, um, and that's a fun thing to see as well. And again, I could have done a lot of this stuff without Lance. I mean, when you've got a coach that sticks with you for seven years, we start speaking the same language. We start believing in the same thing. We start seeing the same vision. Um, and again, like I said, without Lance, I I don't think I'd be here where I am right now. And I I owe a lot of the credit towards Lance and, and what he's done for me and bringing his wisdom to the game too. So, Coach Lammers, I'll ask you this question as you're probably wiping away some tears, you know, probably getting a little <laughs> emotional there. But what what do you think your role in all of this has been? Oh, gosh. It's – it's uh, so I would say starting off, I was part-time middle school, part-time high school teaching health. And part of it was just getting kids interested in, in baseball. We have a lot of kids that – we have some kids that come to us with some experience. We have some kids that – come to us with no experience so just getting kids interested in playing baseball it has been a really big uh aspect of it and then also just building relationships with kids like just getting to know who are the athletes who are the kids that would be interested and then coming alongside them and cheering them on when they're on the football field when they're playing basketball when they're wrestling 
um, building those relationships up has been really big. And it, a lot of credit, I mean, we're, we're probably just going to bounce off of complimenting each other this whole time because <laughs> we work so well together. But Brink gives me a lot of the freedom to, to do what I want to. So I kind of lead our strength and conditioning. That's a little bit of what my background is in. Um, I also have my master's in nutrition. So we do a lot with uh, strength testing, doing our workouts, uh, going from just building up general strength to power. Then in uh, here pretty soon, we're going to jump into doing plyos and then uh, hitting and throwing. So Brink gives me a lot of the freedom to kind of do what I want to. And we we're, he's really good about splitting up jobs with all of our coaching staff. There's four of us total. Um, and I'll take the outfielders, and um, our other coach, Metz, will take the infielders. Brink will take the catchers, and our, another coach, Fletcher, will take the pitchers. And Brink really just trusts us to be able to do what we know best. Um, and I think that's the best way that a coach can do is not being a micromanager and saying you need to work on X, Y, and Z, but Brink trusts us to know, uh, okay, the infielders are struggling in this area, and he trusts that Mets is going to be able to do that. Or, if, like, last year was probably the hardest at time I've ever had coaching outfielders. Um, and Brink trusted me to be able to do that. So he gives gives me the freedom to do what I want. and um, But also we have that open line of communication that uh, he can suggest things, and we can suggest things to each other that it's not uh, an attack against one of the other coaches, but it's just an open dialogue of maybe, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And that, that freedom really relieves a lot of stress, uh, to be able to, to do what we do best. So coach Brink, I'll ask this is I'm kind of in the same position, right? <laughs> you guys are talking about, you know, you're competing against other schools that they may have a richer baseball tradition. Their kids may play a whole lot more baseball in the summer throughout the, uh, the year. They might play a whole lot more baseball, growing up as you're talking about you have some kids that have no idea you know anything basically just trying to get them interested what are some of the ways that you guys are trying to catch up to those schools in terms of just talent how do you guys make up the margins to compete year in and year out? well i think the nice thing is that um we've got our school which is the main high school in inglewood and we've got a it's kind of like an alternative school, but not really an alternative school where kids from all over the state can go if they want to, if they just don't fit in to like a traditional school. Um, so we've been really fortunate to pull some of these players from like 5A schools. So um, let's see here. So three of our players, right, Lammers? We got Dylan, um, you got Dylan, Aiden, and now Caden who have all come from like Columbine, uh, which is a top five yeah. A school. I mean, they're, they're in the, they're in the football championship coming up here in the, uh, in the next Saturday. So we pull some really good outside of the district athletes that have really helped and really helped kind of form um, culture and help really helped kind of like open guys eyes to ask actually what a true like baseball player is. And they've been really good about like taking kids under their wing, helping kids out that way. Uh, so that culture piece is huge, but that's been one thing. The other piece too, is just getting kids excited about baseball. Cause I, I honestly don't think a lot of kids watch baseball anymore if they play it. Um, I really feel like a lot of kids are just, yeah, I'm a baseball player, but shoot, I don't really have the IQ of it. Cause that's the other thing we struggle with is developing the IQ of baseball, um, outside of just playing it and throwing a ball around and swinging a bat. The IQ has to come in. 
And we, we do a lot of things within the classroom too. We'll, if it's a snowy day here, we'll, we'll move practice inside, but we'll start in the classroom and we'll talk about certain situations. We'll watch baseball. We'll show some college games. We'll show some pro games. Um, we just don't have the luxury right now to like have a camera down at the field to actually watch our practices. Um, so we try to dive into college kids, pros, just to show them certain situations. Um, but really it, it's, I think the hardest part right now is trying to get kids to fall back in love with baseball. And I think that's a hard thing right now because Lammers, myself, Fletcher and Mets, all four coaches of us, we grew up loving baseball and playing it every day, whether that was on a team or in the front yard, pretending you're like Ken Griffey Jr. hitting home runs over your neighbor's fence. But, um, I don't think a lot of kids do that anymore. And I think that's a big reason why you don't see a lot of kids falling in love with it anymore because they don't do it outside of school or outside of practice or outside of the game. So that's the biggest struggle that we're going with right now. Yeah. And Joel, I think, I think we're really scrappy. Um, it's kind of what we, I would just describe it is we try to be scrappy and like take an extra base, throw somebody out, um, make a good IQ play. We try to praise all of those things. Um, and really try to put the pressure on the other team and teach a lot of those IQ things um, on the field is, is our scrappiness is probably what we take the most pride in and being tough to get out, tough to throw out on the bases. Um, we just we have kind of developed this culture that we never really give up in a game um, the last couple of years, which has been really fun to see because it, it always makes the game interesting even towards the end. So if I were to go to a practice coach, Lammers, what are some of the things you guys are doing? What are some of the things you guys are working on? What would a typical practice look like for you guys? Oh, base running. We, <laughs> we drill base running so hard. Um, Cause I, I think kind of what coach Brink was talking about the IQ, a lot of baseball IQ comes from being on the bases and knowing how to defend guys on the bases. So we hardly ever practice bunt plays we give the kids the, the wristbands, which I know some of the old timers don't like the wristbands, uh, but the wristbands have been huge for us. We have all of our offensive and our defensive plays on the wristbands. So when it comes time to execute a bunt play, all we do is yell out the number. The wristband tells each position where they're supposed to go, where the out is supposed to be. So we've minimized our practice time, memorizing bunt plays, um, first and third plays, uh, we really try to keep those to a minimum because we have to do so much skill work on the other side. So we kill base running. Uh, the delay steal, Brink and I were talking about whether or not we should give away our secret. Our delay steal <laughs> is probably the best in the state. Uh, and I would I would argue 75% of our stolen bases are on delay steals uh, because the coaches that we play against simply don't know how to defend against it. And we're safe. 90 to 80 percent of the time uh and the only times we get thrown out is a bad throw from the catcher that goes to the second base side and the second baseman happens to run into the ball which is right on our on our base runner um and so we kill base running at the beginning of practice we like playing games we usually split up into individual work um for a little bit and then we'll do some team hitting 21 outs um some of those uh, types of things. We recently got a cage installed in our field, so we split everybody up into groups of four or five and try to maximize our infield reps or outfield reps, hitting in the cage, hitting on the field, 
uh, and just maximize the time that we have to, to get into skill work. Coach Brink, how much do you guys do in the off season to help your athletes get ready for spring? So, yeah, that's, that's a good point. We do a lot. I mean, at least Lance and I feel like we do a lot. It's just hard when you're at a small school like this where you're sharing athletes every season. So we just got some football kids back because the football season ended, but we have a lot of our big-name players playing football. Um, so we don't get to do a lot of things with them. Our hope is that the football team's taking care of them, at least trying to get them ready to go for the season. Now that we're into basketball season, I lose those football kids into basketball as well. And I'm working with kids that are either like a, a fall a fall sport and a spring sport. So I get some of those winter kids that aren't doing anything right now. But like Lance said, he's he, I let him kind of roll with the weight program and I'll be there to kind of help give some ideas as well too. But with his background in health and nutrition, he kind of utilizes his knowledge to kind of put together the best weight plan. So um, like he was talking about, we do a lot of testing. Uh, the first day we started in September, I let the kids kind of get acclimated with school for the first month in August. And then the first week of September, the first day of workouts is, I mean, five five to six or seven different tests that we roll with these guys. Med ball tosses, you know, 30-yard sprints, stuff like that. And we get numbers for them, and we try to tell them that being in the weight room and stuff like that's going to hopefully either decrease the numbers or increase on weight size to kind of help you maximize what you're doing. Um so we run the weight program. We did low weight oh, about a month ago. We transitioned into heavy weight now, more explosive stuff. Um, and then we're going to try to start something new because Coach Fletcher's new to the program. This will be his second season with us. He really wants to roll into kind of the first two weeks of December with getting pitchers and catchers in in the mornings, um, two to possibly three days a week of getting these guys in and just really working through mechanics and honing in on certain things. And he's really good. He's got a really good eye on our pitchers. Um, he can identify mistakes real quickly with them. And he's really personable with the kids where he's got a good relationship with them. They trust him. And so that's another part of our workout. We'll take Christmas break off. Um, we, we tell the guys to work out on their own, but that's the hardest thing about our guys is really getting them motivated. And I'll get more into that in just a second. But when we get back from Christmas break, First week of January, we roll into plyometrics, and this is something we started last year, just really getting quick movements in and really building up endurance for these guys. And that will be the full month of January. That will be three times a, a week in the mornings. Um, so we try to see dedication guys that, that guys have towards the program. that They're going to show up and do workouts with us. Um, and then when we roll into February, and that's a full month because we don't start the season until the end of February, beginning of March that whole focus in February is hitting. It's a kind of called our winter hitting clinic. And I've done that ever since I've been here for the past uh, seven years so as to kind of just building stuff up so that we don't have to take care of it when we hit the practice field. Hopefully all the rust is knocked off of these guys um, with hitting wise. And then we roll into the, into the season and then hopefully we've got these guys prepared, but I just kind of feel, and I think Lance can kind of agree with this is that I feel like we miss kids and, we miss working with them in certain ways because we have so many three sport athletes in the school that we get them at one point, but then they're playing another sport and then we get them again. So it's kind of like we build them up and then we let them down, build them up, let them down. But it's not really us letting them down. It's just because they're in a different sport. And I'll let Lance talk more kind of about the disconnect between the weight room and our athletes as well. But that's kind of what we do for our players. But And it seems to work pretty well. Go yeah, ahead, uh, yeah, I think – a lot of kids want the, the quick fix when it comes to the weight room. Um, 
And I try to preach to our guys. It's like I am basically giving you free personal training. Like all these workouts are designed for you. They're not something I chat GPT or I saw on YouTube and I'm like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like we have the whole year built out. And so the guys that come every single day really see the benefits and the guys that miss out or they have an excuse of I have to go to work or I have to do this, I have to do that. They don't see the benefits as much. And so we're really trying to preach into getting guys into the weight room because it does translate, Um, especially at a school like ours. We carry like we'll have, I think, 22 guys on the team total and then – Probably 16 of those will be on varsity, so there's not a whole lot of competition uh, involved with guys coming up or threatening for starting spots, uh, which makes guys kind of lazy and rest on their laurels, and I don't have to do as much because there's nobody behind me. Uh, And so constantly trying to push those guys uh, is always a challenge. Uh, So we're trying to do different things to make the weight room interesting and not, not dry and boring and you know, three sets of 10 of dumbbell curls, three sets of 10 of uh, bench press, and three sets of 10 of squat. Like, that's not a workout. That's You're just – you're in the weight room, and it's better than nothing, but it's not personalized. It, it's not really a, a duty when you are on the baseball field. So trying to get those guys personalized stuff that um, really starts to further their careers and uh, where they are as an athlete. Coach Lambert, what's some of the ways you guys motivate kids to get in the weight room? Do you guys have any strategies of, you know, reward points? I've heard people do attendance charts, what all that stuff. Do you guys have any strategies you guys try to get to get kids to come in? Uh, we try to push a lot on leaders. Um, get kids that, you know, aren't playing football, have a conversation with them, be like, hey, look, we see you as a leader and we want you to take this step forward and start to encourage your teammates to come to – to wait. Um, and so use the student voice or the athlete voice um, and really try to push those leadership skills on some of those guys. Uh, and then we'll also, I think a big thing with the testing is guys love to see, you know, I think it's kind of ingrained in us ever since the beginning of time, how you see like the Olympic games, people want to see who's the fastest. People want to see who can throw things the furthest. Um, and that element of the testing really starts to push um, a competitive culture of, Okay, last time I ran the 30-yard dash in 4.9, and this time I hit it in 4.5. Like, that's a huge improvement. And so you start to see and you can start to track their progress um, with all of the numbers and adding that competition piece into it, I think, has been pretty pretty successful. Coach Brink, what's the hardest part for you about being a head coach right now? Uh, I mean, I think it's a balance between coaching and family right now. I've got two young boys. I've got a, well, they're going to be soon. I have a five and a three-year-old. They're about to be six and three here soon. Um, and then just also start trying to find time with my wife and everything too. I mean, she's, she's a great coach's wife. She's, she's perfect for the role. And I know that's, that kind of sounds cruddy on my part, but I mean, she does a lot of the stuff here at the house when I'm not here to take care of our two two kids. And my youngest son, William, actually has Down syndrome, so we have a child who has special needs as well. So um, it's a it's a it's a difficult job for her, uh, and it's difficult for me to kind of not be there for her as well in some of these roles. Um, but I think that's the hardest part is just not being being with my family as often as I'd like to be. 
But on the other hand, my wife always says, she's like, it's not like you're out cheating on me. You're actually out there developing young men to become good men in the community. And, uh, and that's the biggest part for me is just kind of helping these kids out. Um, and I think another hard part for me is, I mean, Lance and I have so much love for this game that we always tell the guys and like, we'd love to be out there with you guys playing, but, um, it's the passion part that I, that I really struggle with, with some of our players as to how dedicated you are, because I think Lance and I are motivated that way that we always wanted to be the best that we could possibly be. And I just don't know kind of where these guys fall in as to where do you want to be? I mean, a lot of our kids grow up in families that don't have a father, don't have a mother, or don't even have both. And they're relying on like grandma to raise them. And they just kind of see kind of this path that their parents went down and the hard part for me is to try to get these kids like you don't have to go down that path you don't have to go down that line like you could be something better it's just that motivation piece that lance was talking about um is another part that i struggle with but i would say out of the top two it's it's definitely my family i miss them a lot um they went out shopping right now while i was doing this and my oldest kid he's like don't stay home you need to come with us because that's what you do i'm like i know but in the end he understands it and the best part too is that he's gotten into baseball and I was able to actually take the summer off from doing a lot of baseball stuff and participate with him on his T-ball team and really kind of be there teaching him the game. And he made some plays that I never thought a five-year-old would ever play, uh, make, but um, he, he's just, it's just fun to be around them. And, you know, I just miss him during the season quite a bit. What about you, coach Slammers? What's the hardest part for you when it comes to coaching baseball? Uh, the pay? No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, I think it's the hardest part for me this this past season was trying to um get the outfielders that I coached to take our practice into games. Felt like I was racking my head against the wall the first five games of the season that I just could not figure out how to make it stick, um, to do the proper footwork, to throw to the right bases. Um, and then I think, I think it was about five games in, we finally hit our stride and we stopped throwing the ball all around the, the field and actually started running down baseballs. Um, and so I think the challenge with, with our athletes can be taking practice in teams, whether that's performance anxiety, um, just a lack of, experience we have some kids that yeah they haven't played before so once you throw a ball up in the air and tell them to go run after and get it that's a pretty difficult thing so um i think the having to try and be creative to teach kids how to do the exact same thing uh because every kid's different and some for some kids one thing you say will work and for other kids it will go right over their head and so the having to figure out how does this kid click? I think is the most difficult part of being an assistant coach. Coach Lammers, I'll ask you this question first. You know, the mental side is such a huge aspect of the game. What are some of the ways that you guys attack the mental side of the game? You know, whether it be in games, practices, in the classroom, in the off season, what are some of the strategies you guys use? Yeah, we use the classroom a good bit. Uh, we'll talk about, for, for example, different parts of the strike zone is a, is a big one that we did. Um, different counts, 0 one 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 what specific pitch are you looking for and uh, the thinking side of that. Um, I think a lot of baseball has now swung towards um, sluggers and 
who cares how many times you strike out, but if you hit a home run, then great. Everyone's going to look at the home run. No one's going to look at the strikeouts, and that's just not our team. Uh, our field is huge. We play, It's like 340 down the lines and 400 in center. Uh, and so we just don't have a team that's going to slug home runs, and so strikeouts really matter to us. Um, and so getting in the classroom and teaching uh, the strike zone, different counts, what you're looking for, uh, that mental side has been huge. Um, teaching them to be – I kind of described our team as scrappy earlier, but that I think that starts from the top uh, with us coaches emphasizing bunts and hit and runs and stolen bases. Uh, and those are the things that we're looking for more than, you know, a, a triple that's going to come once out of every five games. Uh, and so tailoring our, our practices to the type of team that we are and then explaining, look, we're not going to hit home runs. We're going to have to bunt and really emphasizing those different pieces so that the kids start to buy into what we're trying to do and how we think that we're going to be successful. Because every team is different. We're going to have one kid who's the real slugger this year, um, and the rest of the lineup is going to have to work to get on base. And so really telling kids, look, you might be in the two hole, and we just need you to get on base, whether that's bunting, walks, hit by pitch uh, and trying to get kids to buy into their roles is what we really start to look for when it comes to the mental side of the game. And I think when you build that up, it makes the kids confident in what they do. They start to see success in those areas and then they start to buy into their role on the team. Coach Brink, as the the leader of the, the organization, the program, if you had to have your program, your culture, described in one word what do you think you'd want that one word to be oh man that's tough i think it's it kind of goes along the lines of that scrap i think just like grit just all out grit i mean never leave don't leave an ounce of anything on that field i mean just go out play your butt off play as hard as you can um win or lose i mean if you if you left it all out there then then i understand that. i'm I'm not going to yell at you if you you dove for a ball and you missed it but if you kind of a lag on a play and if you don't give it your all then we're going to have some words but again i think just grit grit overall i think is a good word for our team all right we're going to wrap up the podcast here with this question it has been great having you guys on my question for you guys is this and i'll start with you first coach brink and then we'll bring it home with you coach slammers if you could present at the ABCA convention, what do you think you'd want to present on? And could you give us a little snippet of what that might sound like? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think mine was just – I think the one that I've been thinking about quite a bit is how to develop a program um, in such a low socioeconomic area and trying to figure out what it takes to get kids to buy into the culture and the organization. Um I think the way that I would kind of present it is just kind of show what we've done from when, once we took over um, and get an idea is it, it truly is, is if you build it, they will come. And Lance, Lance and I have put so much effort into the field that we actually won an award back in 2022, I think Lammers for a best small yeah, school. 2021, field. I think. Yeah. 2021. Yeah. Best small school field in Colorado after we renovated it and once we've renovated and once we've put a lot of work into that baseball field you see kids it catches their eye like ooh, i kind of want to be on that field and i want to be there um but i think the biggest part out of that is trying to find good ways to fundraise for schools like ours again a lot of our kids don't have a lot of money 
um, to where we have to get real creative with fundraising. And I think we've found kind of our diamond in the rough, and that's just by using our own baseball field um, with hosting tournaments. Last summer, we hosted two tournaments, and it was a six-day thing over two weekends. Or sorry, three days each weekend, so six total, um, to where we raked in about seven grand. And that $7,000 is going to do a lot for our program and a lot for our kids. Um, we've done a lot already. And I think just trying to build culture and, again, that buy-in. you got to figure out a way to get people to buy in, not just the players, but the parents themselves, too, to really understand that, okay, I'm putting my kid in this, and I trust the person that, that that's leading them. And, all right, well, I'm willing to put in the money, too, because we ask our players to buy a lot of their equipment because, again, we just can't afford a lot of it. Um, so they're responsible for, like, their pants and some other stuff that we need them to do. And again, I think once you build the culture and culture throughout the years goes by and players start talking to other players that they may know coming in, it just gets passed out. It's kind of word of mouth. And I think that's the best way that we've done this with Inglewood so far is just getting prior families to buy in to where new families that come in trust us to do the best for their kids. And I think that's the best way to go about that. And we'll bring the podcast episode home with you here, Coach Lammers. What do you think you'd want to present on at the ABCA convention? Uh, I would, I think I responded to your tweet the other day. I think it's, for me, it's nutrition. Um, I think we all know working out is good for us. Uh, and a lot of kids, you can find people that, uh, can give you quality workouts and can, can get you physically, uh, ready to go. Uh, but I think nutrition is the underlying piece that a lot of kids start to miss, especially when they're in high school. They think, you know, I can drink a Gatorade and eat a bag of Takis and I can go out and perform. Uh, and that Gatorade and bag of Takis is really only going to get you so far. Uh, I find a lot of our athletes, a lot of our students at, at, my, at our school really start to miss out on that nutrition piece and it starts to hold them back. Uh, and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of effort to take care of your nutrition. But I think that's the uh, the next big piece of the sports performance world that is really going to start catching people's eyes is, is that nutrition piece. What happens when you get enough protein or enough carbs? Um, and you can actually start to see that translate onto the baseball field. But a lot of kids have to want it. We had one kid that I wrote a nutrition plan for a couple years ago. He gained, gosh, how much weight did Elliot gain? Brink, he put on like 20 pounds and 20, yeah, I would say around 20 pounds. semester, something like that. And then I had all these kids coming to me that were like, oh, I want, to, I want that, I want that. And I said, okay, well, you have to do X, Y, and Z. You have to track what you eat. You have to figure out what you need. And they're like, well, but I don't want it. And so, so then you don't really want it. So you have to, um, if you don't want to take these steps to do it, then you're not going to be able to get the end result. It's not like there's a quick fix when it comes to nutrition. Uh, you have to actually start to teach and start to build up on those skills uh, in order to do that. And nutrition is a big piece of uh, the developing athlete and where they're at and where they ultimately want to go. 